All right, you may be seated. Don't you love how children know exactly when <laughs> to misbehave? It's crazy. <laughs> I remember, I think it was last year, I think it was, I was trying to introduce and the kid was just screaming the whole time, but it was fantastic. They just know, they know how to make it easy. Well, my mom and dad, see this is a good story for Mother's Day. My mom and dad loved taking us places as kids. We would, we would pack into a vehicle that looked a lot like the Lindsley's old station wagon, you know, the paneled side, that back seat that flipped to the back. And we had, I had four sisters and a brother, so you had my mom and dad in the front. I would usually sit in the front seat next to them, and I'd have the rest of the family would sit in the back. I remember when we'd go long places, I'd be so thirsty. I'd say, Mom, you got anything to drink? And it wasn't, you know, there was no bottled water and people really wouldn't bring a lot of drinks. My mom would have this big green thermos of coffee. Hey, I got some coffee for you, Chris. I started drinking coffee about two years old. It was fantastic. But they loved taking us places in that vehicle. We'd drive all over the place. And my dad got us singing songs. And my dad taught us a lot of different songs. Some songs were very kid-friendly. Some were not. 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles. Dad, that's not a good song to sing with kids that's going to be a pastor someday. But we would sing a song every time we went to the zoo. It was the same song. When, Daddy's taking us to the zoo tomorrow, zoo tomorrow. So I remember singing that song. Zoo, and then it would go, we're going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. How about you? And we'd drive into the Cleveland Zoo, and we'd park, and we'd get to go see lions and tigers and bears and bald eagles, baboons, chimps and cheetahs, kangaroos and cobras. I loved the zoo. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. My mom loved taking us to the zoo. Today we're going to go to the zoo as well. Have you ever been to Peter's Zoo? Peter's Zoo is where we're going to go today. Let me tell you a little bit about it. It is not... It is like no other zoo you've ever been before. Actually, this is a zoo where the angels are, I mean, the animals are dangerous. Some are deadly, and some are very boring. But we find them in 2 Peter, chapter 2, and if you'd like to go to Peter's zoo, open up to verse 10, chapter 2, because we're going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. See, that's a nice song, Missy. I bet you sang that with your kids, didn't you? You've never, who's, have you heard that song? Yeah, it's a great song, isn't it? It is. It's better than 99 bottles of beer. And so open up the Second Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 10. And we're going to go to the end of the chapter. Peter writes, and he's jumping off of verse 9 where he talks about there are some who are kept for punishment until the day of judgment. And then he goes to verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Bold and willful, they, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. 
They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever outcome a person to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So those are the verses we're going to look at. And if you've noticed, there's four animals mentioned. They're very different for a zoo. The first one that Peter's going to introduce us to is the very intimidating and dangerous wild boar. This animal devours, rampages, destroys, mauls things. We're going today to learn about his natural characteristics, and our job is to avoid him at all costs. The second animal is very easy to miss. It is rather sad. It's a drab animal. This animal is the common donkey. Some people call it a jackass. I don't like to swear, so I won't use that name. Actually, my wife's dad would say that about people and say, what is that? Isn't that a swear word? You know, any older folks, they never saw that word as a swear word kind of strange. The third and fourth animal I'm going to lump together because they are described in the same way. They are puppies and washed pigs. So you could say puppies and pigs. They're cute and cuddly, but here at Peter's Zoo, we will be brought a little bit closer to them to smell their stink, see them roll in the mud, and we'll talk about something else a little bit later that they like to do. So my invitation stands. Come with me as we walk through the zoo. The first animal we will discuss is the most rotten animal of all, the wild boar. We find him written about in verses 10 through 14 and 17 and 18. This wild boar, as it says in verse 12, listen to what it says, like an irrational animal, these are creatures of instinct. They are born... They are born to be caught and destroyed. So there's some people that are born to be caught and destroyed. If I'm reading this right, this verse is telling me that in the mind of God, there are some people out there who he's run out of mercy for. Huh. These people that I call the wild boars have become so confirmed in their wickedness that they are distanced, or they, in a sense, have turned their back on God's grace and mercy. This sounds harsh to me, because as a pastor, I tell everyone that God is always ready 
to extend his mercy and grace to them. But if you look at closely at the end of verse 9, 10 through 12, watch what he says. At the end of verse 9, he's talking about these people who, the unrighteous who are under punishment. And they are going to be kept until the day they will be judged. And then verse 10 says, especially those who indulge in lust. And then in verse 12, I already read it, he said, but these are born to be caught and destroyed. Blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction. This is scary. One writer has uh, quoted verse 10 by saying, Eternally, in, eternal punishment is specially reserved for them. Specially reserved for them because another writer says, because they especially incense God. They make God angry. So angry that he has reserved judgment for them. I don't know about you, but that terrifies me. If I could possibly be one of them. I would like to know. Is, is there any way to know? Well, he does describe them. He begins in verse 11 by saying that... Um, actually, let's see. Verse 11 says, Whereas angels, though in might and power, do not promote... Blasphemy judgment. Oh, verse 10. In the middle of verse 10, he calls them bold and willful. In the NIV, it says they are bold and arrogant. So if you put willful, bold, and arrogant together, you get the word wild boar. That's where I get the word wild boar. Calls them animals to be destroyed. Peter was actually addressing a class of false teachers that were in the church at that time. They were men who held high positions. They liked the power. They liked the authority. And they liked ruling over others. And he uses the word bold to describe them. A bold person, in this case, a leader, is one of those leaders that just are loud, proud, and obnoxious. They don't care what you think of them because they think they have a right to rule everybody they see. Whoever's in my church, I'm in charge of. I'm the father, you're the kids, keep your mouth shut. They're bold and loud. They're also arrogant. And arrogant means that they are pleased with their own opinions. They like their own opinions. And they don't really listen to yours because they're always right. That's what arrogance means. I am above you and I am right. I am sure you've met people like this. Everywhere you go, you'll find the wild boars. And when you find a wild boar, they like to intimidate you, threaten you. They will lash out if you disagree with them. And if they view you weaker, they like to silence you with threats. Peter says their arrogance is so unhinged that they have no problem saying brash and what I would say foolish things that they know nothing about. And with reckless daring, they blaspheme, it says in here, they blaspheme the glorious ones at the end of verse 10. What does that mean? There's some discussion about who are the glorious ones. Some theologians say, well, they blaspheme other proud, arrogant prophets. Some people say, well, they blaspheme pastors and the apostles. But most scholars think they even, they're talking about celestial beings like angels and demons. They will raise their voice up against them or say that angels told them something that angels never did, so they are blaspheming them. Like, for instance, Islam, Islam 
follows the Quran that was given to Muhammad. Muhammad says he received the Quran from the angel Gabriel. So he's saying he received everything in the Quran from the angel Gabriel. Do you know the Quran says that it is wrong for you to worship somebody who claims they are the begotten one of God. So they're saying that you're a wicked person if you believe Jesus Christ is God's son. And he's claiming Gabriel gave him that. When it's biblical record, it's just the opposite. So you could say Muhammad has blasphemed Gabriel. And he doesn't mind, bold and arrogant. And you've probably turned on the TV and seen those countless TV preachers that are always yelling at the devil and casting out demons and like they have the authority to. No, Jesus does. I really don't think they know who they're talking to. So have to be very careful how we think we can call out and bind demons. That's not our prerogative, honestly. That's only Christ's. One commentator says, about the tongue of the wild boar, false teachers are careless in the lordship of Christ and are free with their insults. But the angels so revere their Lord as they live all their lives in, their, in His presence. And because of that, no insulting language is ever allowed to pass on their lips. A wild boar has a tongue that is not tamed. It devours, destroys, derides even God and His servants, the glorious angels. How do you use your words? How do, you, do you ever use the Lord's name in vain? Because that's blasphemy, by the way. To be very careful. The second problem with the wild boars is the most obvious quality when you see them in, in life and in living. Verse 14 describes them as, says they have eyes full of adultery and it says they're insatiable for sin. That word insatiable is it's kind of a heavy word. It means they never can have enough. They are never full. And specifically, he describes three things they are never full of. They're never full of sex, they're never full of money, and they're never full of pleasure. When it comes to sex, one writer says, the boar lusts after every woman he sees as if she's a potential adulteress. Ugh. And you go on a construction site, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Go into a locker room, you'll know what I'm talking about. When it comes to money, no salary or profit is ever enough for the boar. Never enough. Never enough. I always need more. Why does the CEO, the athlete, and the actor, and the politician need to be paid so much? I mean, they are paid a lot. Why? Why, uh, why does Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, and Joyce Meyer need to make so much money? They're supposed to be evangelists and preachers. Why do they need to make so much money? When is enough enough? I'm not against capitalism up here, but I believe the Bible is against avarice. And what avarice is, is never being satisfied with what you make. You always need more. Used to be called a deadly sin. Now it's encouraged. It's weird. And then when it comes to pleasure, one writer says, the problem with the unrestrained pleasure and lust in the prophet, and he's talking about the false prophet, is that they are always subject to the law of diminishing returns. More is always needed to satisfy lust and pleasure. 
Mere drinking at night becomes drunkenness in the daytime. Food itself is a snare because the prophet who has no self-control topples over into endless rounds of gluttony. All that is left of a person without self-control is the prophet's own dissipation and debauchery leading to utter condemnation. They are described in here as accursed children, people who demand to be judged. That's scary. How are you with self-control, honestly? Are you ever satisfied, or do you always need more? The boar never satisfied. To me, if we were going to bring this into present tense, it sounds like Harvey Weinstein to me, or Bill Cosby, or Charlie Rose, or R. Kelly, or Scott Bayo, or Steve Wynn, or Al Franken, or Matt Lure, or William Clinton, or John Kennedy, or even Donald Trump. Christian leadership ranks aren't immune to it either. Do you know that? There's some pastors that actually do the same kind of stuff. And you'll read them on the headlines all over the place. We in our own denomination had a missionary that was like this. Name's Don Ketchum. Some of you know that name. It's disgusting. He was a wild boar. Abuse by the powerful is a horrible, ugly, destructive thing. And God hates it. He hates it. I just want to take a quick side note because we live in a day of age of the Me Too movement. What do, we, what do we say about that? Because this is the proper place to talk about it. Has the Me Too movement, where all of these ladies want to stand up and you know, basically support one another against, and they're, they're actually supporting each other against the wild boar, what do we say about it? Has it gone too far or has it gone not far enough? First thing I'd say is when women feel like they are the prey of the predatory wild boar, we must do what we can to protect them. We must be the first to fight for every woman's right to have the ability to work and live without feeling threatened or oppressed. When we see it where we work, we need to stand up and say something. I will also say this about this movement. Ironically, Christians have been warning people in our society about this type of behavior for years. And we've been laughed at. We are considered, uh, you know, Puritans. And we've been ridiculed for it. Peter and Paul spoke about it. This idea of sexual deviancy being a curse for over 2,000 years. God's always wanted human beings to act like human beings, not animals. But it wasn't cool to speak out against it until those who, uh, to a degree, lost some of their political power have been abused too. But I guess, you know, their desire for stopping sexual deviancies of wild boar is better late than ever because it is wrong. That's all I'll say on that. So the first animal was the wild boar. Stay away from them and don't be one. Second one. We go to see this animal in the zoo, he is easy to miss. He's so plain and he's so boring. He's nothing spectacular, it's the common donkey. We find him in verse 16. It's talking about how Balaam, who was a prophet that was a wild boar himself, was rebuked by a speechless donkey who was given a human voice. And he was restrained by this donkey. So the donkey, this little animal restrain the madness of the prophet. It's a strange story. 
Donkeys don't make much of a noise in this world. They just are born to serve. It's kind of the same way with real Christians. As it says in the New Testament, make it your ambition to lead a peaceful and quiet life. Do good. Don't let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Carry the burdens of others as you carry your own burden. This kind of living, biblical living, actually makes for a rather boring life. You're not going to be in the front pages of the news. You just quietly serve. And yet when the true Christian is asked to take a stand against the wild boars, they will. In fact, the true Christian is downright stubborn when it comes to morality. They won't budge. They're like Balaam's donkey. That's what Peter refers to here in verse 16. It's a strange story. Here's Balaam's story. Balaam was a prophet. You can find him in Numbers 22 to 24, and he owned a donkey. Balaam was asked by this enemy of God's people, the Israelites, to preach things that will pour a curse upon God's people. And if he did, they'd, he'd make some money from Balak. Balaam wanted money, so he's going to get a bribe, and he was heading on his donkey to see Balak. But as he traveled, God put a destroying angel in his path. First it was a wide path, and the donkey veered off. Then it was a closer path, and the donkey brushed against the side of the wall. And the third path was really short, and the angel was there, and the donkey just sat down and wouldn't move. And Balaam started whacking his donkey, probably swearing at him, probably saying, you stupid donkey, probably called him a jackass, but I'm not going to swear. The donkey was given a voice by God saying, am I not your donkey who you've ridden your whole life? It's not my habit to turn off the road, is it? And Balaam stopped and said, no, it isn't. And God opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the destroying angel and the donkey saved him that day. One writer says the story is clear. A dumb donkey possesses sounder prophetic vision than a religious official whose moral sense has been perverted by gain from wrongdoing. In other words, a donkey by nature is humble. They're lowly. They're a creature of service. When I say lowly, and I refer to us as we need to be lowly too, we need to know our place and be content. Let God be God and serve Him in the role and style He's assigned you. Not lusting and demanding for more. That's the problem with the wild boar. He's never satisfied. Corey Tenboom, who was a lady that lived during the Russian Holocaust, she is a she's quite a speaker. She's learned a lot of tremendous stories. And she once told the story of this vision she's given about Jesus on his way in the triumphal entry. Remember, he got on a donkey. And they're singing, Hosanna. And here's what she writes. Everyone on that day was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises. Do you think for one moment it even entered into the head of that donkey that any of it was for him? If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and honor. It's an incredible story. What she's saying, a donkey is content and he will not be tempted with the things the wild boar is tempted so like Balaam's donkey real Christians and I'm saying real Christians we need to be stubborn in the face of cultural rot we need to be stubborn with our morality 
It is our duty to refuse to follow the immoral crowd. That's our duty. And don't be surprised that people, especially wild boars, will think you are very irritating and behind the times. Especially when you don't compromise on your convictions. Be stubborn. So we saw the wild boar and the donkey, and there's two more that we're going to go see. These uh, this final group of animals, they're not dangerous. In fact, looking at them, they're rather cute and cuddly. Puppies and pigs. Who doesn't like to snuggle a soft puppy? Or wash up a fat little piglet, put on a cute little bow around its neck, put them in the grass and watch them run around. They're cute. They're really cute. Ken, aren't they cute? They're cute, aren't they? Fat pigs. You like, you like your steer, don't you? Cows are better. Both make cute pets. And did you know a lot of Christians clean up and they can look quite nice too. And like the puppy, they can seem rather harmless. Especially when they sing songs and say words like, I have faith, hope, and love. But underneath the puppy and the fat little cute piglet, they have a common problem and we find it in verse 22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The, tall, the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Here's the problem with both of them. After being cleaned up and admired, they will often return to their earlier dirty ways. Have you ever seen a young dog, a young puppy eat? They have, a, they have zero self-control. You can feed them and keep feeding them and they'll keep eating and eating. They don't know when to stop. And what's worse, I even hate to say it, this is what Peter says, if that puppy or dog throws up, you need to get them away because they like to eat their vomit. Ah. Who's seen it? Anybody ever seen it? Raise your hand. How many, if you've had a dog, you've seen it. It's sick. I kick my dog out to, get away from that! Yuck! Yuck! That's what Peter says. Don't blame me for that rotten image. You need to let it sink in, though. Uh. Or you can clean up a nice pig, put a bow around it, but walk it past some mud on a hot day, and it will jump right in. Truthfully, both of these animals are used, I believe, by Peter, because in the Jewish mind, they both were unclean. They were despised animals. Dogs, during the time of this writing, they weren't domesticated. They traveled around as mongrel packs scavenging garbage and carcasses and dead things. They were, you stay away from dogs in the ancient world. If you, go to, if you go to a third world country, you stay away from dogs. Ah, they're dangerous and they're flea-bitten and they're riddled with disease. In the Jewish mind, also pigs were considered ceremonially unclean. You don't eat them. They're not kosher. You stay away. So what Peter is saying is that there are some people in the church that are, they do disgusting behavior and they're considered unclean. He describes who they are in verse 14. These are the ones that are enticed. See how it says they have eyes full of adultery, that's the wild boar. And who do they entice? Unsteady souls. So you could say the, the puppies and pigs are those who get enticed by the temptations of the world. And in verse 20, talks about them, talking about after they've escaped the defilements of the world, they get entangled again. They go back to the vomit and the mud 
I'm sure you've met people like this who've come to church. They look good. They say the right things. They even wash up well before they come to church. Some even wear dresses and ties, the proper uniform of the churchgoer. But after they leave, many of them return to the life and the dirty habits they've always lived. The Word of God doesn't change them. It doesn't change. That's the point of God's. That's why we preach, because you let it in you and you live it. But for the pup and the pig, they let it, they listen to it, they like it, but they don't live it. I've met a lot of people that say, hey, Pastor, I love that service. Your sermon was great. It made me laugh. It spoke right to me. I see how good Jesus is, but then they go back home running and falling in the same habits as they've always done. They look good at church, but at home they have eyes that want more. The problem with these two animals is that Peter said, look at verse 20. Peter says, after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, they are again entangled. The last state has become worse for them than the first. That's terrifying to me. Is it really possible to be worse off after you meet Jesus than before you've ever met him? Peter says, yes, how? How can I be worse off after I meet Jesus than before I met him? It's very simple. Jesus is the truth, and he declares himself as the truth, and if you learn from him, and it, he doesn't set you free, who or what, what else, where else do you go? Where else do you go? Many people think they've come to the truth by going to church. You only come to the church when you let Christ come in and live by Him. Knowing Him is not the same as becoming like Him. It's a completely different thing. And in the puppy is one more problem. And it's verse 19. And this is the biggest problem with our society. Our society is full of this. Verse 19 says, he's talking about the wild board of them. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he's enslaved. Here's the problem. is how they define freedom. What is freedom? Is freedom when I get to live the way I want to? Man, I get to finally be me. Sin and all. Habits and all. Is that freedom? I'm free because grace covers it all. There's a song that says... Free from the law, O oh blessed condition, I can sin as I please and still have remission. Is that freedom? Is freedom when I can sin as I want and there's enough grace to cover it? Or is true freedom when I'm able to live the way I've been made to live? Conformed into the image of Christ. Romans 8, 4 says, God sent Jesus in order the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in me. Jesus came so the law now is living in me and I no longer have to sin. Is that true freedom? I believe that is true freedom. Let me give you, let me give you an illustration. Is a car free? If you, read the, if you read basically the owner's manual, and Ben taught me this, if you read the owner's manual, it takes gas to run a car. 
So is a car free when I fill it with gasoline? Or what if I just take my hose from the spigot and put it in the tank and fill it? It's free. I mean, man, I can turn that on any time. I don't need to go to Speedway and pay money for gas. I'm going to fill my car up with water. What's wrong with that? I'm free to do that, and it's, it doesn't cost me a thing. You're probably saying, Chris, if you put, you, you're going to destroy the whole car. It doesn't run on water. And we don't run on sin. It ruins us. It's not freedom. That's the point. What is freedom? To live by the owner's manual. This is how I've been designed to live. There's ten commandments. Put the Lord first. Don't lust. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't hate and murder. In other words, puppies and pigs see bondage to sin as freedom and freedom to live for Christ as bondage, but that's not how we've been designed. And ultimately, if that's how you live, you will too be condemned with the wild boar. So, how do you like the zoo? It's been a nice zoo. The wild boar and the donkey and the puppies and pigs. Did you know there's some of, one of those animals lives in you to some degree? Which one? You have to be careful how you answer this. Be very careful because there is another. Jesus describes one of these animals with a different term. Listen to what he says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's in Jesus' zoo. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's the final warning. Only one of those animals survives. Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, I just pray that, God, people would um, read your word and listen to it and let it sink in. Thank you for this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. Go in grace.